Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about gestational trophoblastic disease and choriocarcinoma. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host and creator here at Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast, and I am thrilled to have started Season 2 and have you back with me here. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. The feedback has been fantastic. Uh, as you know, I've changed the format around a little bit in order to help you achieve more retention, uh, help you study better, help increase your testing scores and increase the amount of information that you hold on to. And we've been doing a lot of work with that here in Season 2. I've been covering a lot of material on things that will improve your memory, your attention of what we're doing. And one of the biggest issues is being active participant here in the show, not just passively listening and letting the information slide through your brain, but actively um, thinking and participating as we as we cover the material. And in the, in light of that, I've been adding review questions or just questions at the beginning and the end of the show. Uh, some of them, um, we're going to jump right into that now. And some of those are going to be review questions from things we've covered already in OB, but some of them are going to be new questions on things we're going to cover yet today. And again, if you haven't heard that information before, if you haven't covered it before, that's okay. Don't just ignore it. Spend a little bit of time, the two or three seconds, thinking about it, trying to dredge up possible answers. And what that does is sort of primes your brain and gets you ready to receive the actual information as we move forward. And it helps to build connections and helps you to hold on to that information when we do, in fact, cover it in today's show. So I really want you to concentrate and work hard as I go through the questions, as I go through the topics. It'll make a big difference in how much of it and how valuable it is for you moving forward. All right, so let's start with uh, with a couple of questions. List four things in a patient's history that might make you consider an ectopic pregnancy. Four things in a patient's history that might make you consider an ectopic pregnancy. So a previous ectopic, a history of PID, history of endometriosis, history of fallopian tube surgery, anything that's going to be an issue with the fallopian tubes, anything that can cause scarring or a problem there and get that egg to implant in the tube rather than passing through to the uterus. What is the first-line medication for gestational diabetes treatment? What's the first-line medication for treating gestational diabetes? Now, this is the one specifically that comes from last, uh, the last show during which I said metformin, which is certainly a possibility, but I had uh, Debbie write in and say, hey, I work in OB. I've never seen metformin used. Uh, we always use gliburide and then add an in insulin if necessary. So I pulled it up on ACOG, which is the, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And according to their paperwork, they basically say you can use metformin or gliburides. Oral medications have the same efficacy as insulin does early on and then add in insulin uh, if you need to. So for me, I still, I don't know, I, I still feel like the te textbook answer is going to be metformin, although certainly any oral uh, medication is going to be your first line there and then follow that up as needed with insulin. At what gestational age is the fundus at the height of the pubic symphysis? At what gestational age is the fundus at the height of the pubic symphysis? So it's 10 to 12 weeks. Do you remember what it was at 20 weeks? And that's up to the umbilicus. And then a pregnant patient complains of passing grape-like tissue. What diagnosis should you be thinking of? Grape-like tissue. That's going to be uh, gestational trophoblastic disease. It's going to be a hydatiform mole, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's, <laughs> that segues nicely right into that topic. So let's move on. Oh, and just as far as, uh, like I said, Debbie had written in, to a question that she also just took her exam. I haven't heard the results yet, so I'm, I'm hoping that she did well. Um, she took her pan read just last week. Uh, so Debbie, if I haven't gotten back to you an email, please send it, send that in. Let me know how you make out when you get your results. Um, okay, 
psilotopin and get to gestational trophoblastic disease. Uh, GTD. It's a group of problems where tumors grow in the placental tissue. Okay, so it's a it's a group of tumors growing in the placenta. There may or may not be fetal tissue present. It may just be a, a, the placenta. Two presentations within this group are hydatidiform mole and choriocarcinomas. So the hydatidiform mole is going to be a molar pregnancy, and it's the result of proliferation of placental tissue secondary to some problem at fertilization. So you get an overgrowth of placental tissue um, in the complete molar form. There's no fetal tissue. In the incomplete mole, there are some fetal tissue present. It's still not going to be viable, but there'll be some uh, tissue present. Patient presentation is going to be nausea and vomiting, which of course isn't helpful when you talk about early on pregnancy. Uh, vaginal discharge in the first trimester. So here's your brown, bloody, grape-like tissue that may be coming out from the vagina. So that's your uh, grape-like tissue is your answer for that one earlier on. High blood pressure. So you can get like something that looks like preeclampsia in the first trimester. Greater than expected growth of the uterus. So that's the different heights of the uterus and where you would find it. Less than the expected, I'm sorry, or you can get less than expected growth in the uterus. You can get an elevated HCG, so greater than 100,000. And on Doppler, there will be no fetal heart sound because there isn't, there isn't a fetal heartbeat. There isn't fetal tissue. Even though mom feels pregnant and all the hormones are working as if she is, uh, there's no viable fetal tissue. So they're not going to pick up a heart sound. And the ultrasound will show an abnormal placenta without viable fetal tissue. And again, that description of a snowstorm is consistent with a complete hydatidiform mole. Uh, and it's the snowstorm appearance on, on ultrasound is sort of your key term uh, you'll find in this group. So again, mom is, for all intents and purposes, pregnant. All the hormones are functioning. Uh, there's a placenta growing, but there's no viable fetal tissue, even though in some cases there is some fetal tissue. Um, regardless of if it's complete or incomplete, so if there's viable or, or if there is fetal tissue or there's not fetal tissue, that, that the fetal tissue that's there is not viable. It, it, it's not going to go on to uh, to develop into a a, a, a full term birth. It just isn't going to happen. There's nothing. There's not. There may be fetal tissue, but it's not viable. And the the tissue that is there is going to have to be removed from the uterus. So just like in a missed abortion, in a missed abortion, uh, the treatment here is going to be a DNC. They're going to have to uh, take that tissue out, um, and that's going to be the, the treatment. It's going to be a DNC here. And again, keep in mind, uh, there is no viable fetal tissue. Whether or not there's fetal tissue present is questionable. That's your partial versus uh, your incomplete versus complete, but none of it is going to be viable fetal tissue. Next, we have choriocarcinoma, which is a malignant cancer typically found in the placenta following a hydatidiform mole, but may occur during any pregnancy. So this is part of gestational trophoblastic disease. And what happens is you get a cancer in the placenta. And again, it typically about 50% occur after a hydatidiform mole. Um, but about, I think it's like 20 to 30% occur in normal pregnancies. You can get them in ectopics or in abortions as well, uh, aborted fetuses. So this is a malignant cancer that typically occurs in the placenta. And one of the major concerns here is that it metastasizes. Uh, it metastasizes to the lungs. So, if you were to go look this up, a lot of the symptoms are uh, coughing and hemoptysis and that sort of thing. Uh, but those are, are secondary symptoms to that uh, that metastasis. So the clinical characteristics: the patient will have vaginal bleeding and pain. They'll have an elevated uh, beta HCG. You're going to want to get a CBC ultrasound. Uh, and then it goes on to chest x-rays, MRIs, and PET scans to see if it's moved. Because again, this is a, a malignant cancer. Now, if it's caught early enough, 
It's contained in the placenta. It's treated with just, uh, typically with just chemotherapy, and it responds well because, uh, and it responds really well. So usually methotrexate is enough, uh, or you can go on from there. For our purposes, I don't think we need to discuss it any further. And then there's a surgical treatment. Obviously, you can do a hysterectomy if things are so bad, if bleeding becomes so bad uh, that it can't be controlled, or if uh, further fertility is no longer an issue, then a hysterectomy will be, uh, can be part of the answer here. All right, so that'll wrap up the content portion of the show for today. I know it's really brief. The way that the blueprint's set up for uh, OB uh, makes it so I don't want to introduce anything new. I just want to cover those two issues today. And then in the next show, we'll get into uh, normal labor and delivery. And then after that, we'll start talking about the problems throughout normal labor, throughout labor and delivery um, in a little bit there. But here, I just want to cover some, following our talk on abortions, I want to cover on um, some early on issues that are related to pregnancy, but are not necessarily uh, part of a normal pregnancy and the issues that go along with that. So anyhow, um, moving on. Our study tip for today is to limit your distractions while studying. I can't stress this enough. This is another huge one. I've just been hearing and reading more and more about. I found it in multiple studies that it takes about 15 minutes to get back on track after you've been interrupted from your studying, from whatever you're working on. It takes about 15 minutes to get back on track. That means checking your phone. That means getting a text. That means um, somebody popping in to ask you a quick question. Any of these things, even just a 30-second distraction, can take your brain uh, up to about 15 minutes to get back on track as far as back into what it is you're covering. Uh, and that's just forever, if you think about it. If you sit down for an hour and you're interrupted three or four times, that's basically the whole time your brain's not functioning as well as it should be on the material that you want to be covering. So you want to, but what you want to do is try to set up a situation where you can absolutely limit the number of distractions. So if you need to turn your phone off, turn your phone off. If you need to tell people in the house, listen, I'm going to be setting for an hour. Please don't bother me. But in one hour, I'll come out and you can ask me whatever questions you want. I'll be happy to help. That's another really good method that I tend to use is to set up very strict parameters so everybody knows uh, when I'm working, when I'm concentrating, but then I make it very clear to everyone when I'm going to be available for them, when I can answer their questions, when I can help uh, find the Lego pieces that they're, <laughs> that they're missing, uh, those sorts of things. So as long as you make it clear to everybody in the house, you turn your phone off, uh, you try to really limit yourself to those interruptions during those work periods, it'll go a whole lot further to how much you get done, how much you get accomplished, and how much you retain. All right, so we're just going to wrap up with some review questions for today. A snowstorm appearance on ultrasound is a key term for what diagnosis? Snowstorm appearance on ultrasound is a key term for what diagnosis? I'm surprised I put this in here again so that I could mangle the pronunciation. Uh, that would be for a complete form mole. Complete molar pregnancy is a snowstorm appearance. Give one indication for, rec for recommending an amniocentesis. So this wasn't in today's, this was previous. Give one indication for recommending an amniocentesis. Take a minute and think it over. Advanced paternal age alone is enough. Family history of genetic disorders, an abnormal ultrasound, abnormal quad screen, or if you're testing for fetal lung development at 32 weeks. And here's a tough one. Define Nagel's rule. This is one I could never, could never keep straight. Define Nagel's rule. Obviously, it's for the estimated dates of confinement. It's the first day of the last menstrual period, plus one year, plus seven days, minus three months. If you got that right, congratulations. Estimated date of confinement equals first day of last menstrual period plus one year plus seven days minus three months. And again, if, if you're good enough to hold on to that and think it through, congratulations. Like I said, I, I've, I've always always struggled with. 
Um, so that'll wrap up today's show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here. Um, like I said, I know this was a little bit shorter. We're going to try next one will be a little bit longer because we're going to cover labor and delivery uh, and we'll pick up from there. And again, I really appreciate all the emails responses I've been getting to the launch of season two. And of course, ratings and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. If you haven't done it yet, please go over and check out the new website. You can find all the old shows on, uh, if you go up to the top and look under sitemap, everything's right there for you. It's really, uh, the guys who put this idea there have done an amazing job. So I'm really appreciative to them. And uh, if you haven't done it, go check it out. It's at physicianassistantexamreview.com.